Uh, and it's wonderful when the choir, it shares and it lifts up our hearts. If a preacher can't preach after that, they can't preach because that is wonderful. That lifts me up, lets me know that God is going to give us the light of life and the light is going to shine and the darkness will, will fade away. There is good news. Great things are happening. Our God is a wonderful God, a powerful God. Our God is able to do all things. He is all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. In the Gospel of Mark, in the ninth chapter, we read of what takes place on this day in the Christian calendar. We call it the transfiguration, the moment when Jesus shows his true self to his disciples. And the scripture reads, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothing became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open up our eyes that we may see the true nature of your presence in our life this light that shines in the darkness and gives us hope. Lord, let us know your transfiguration in our own life that we may know your presence every day. Lord, let us know there are miracles happening each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All throughout history, light has been used as an illustration of God's presence, even among other religions and faiths. In fact, Confucius said it is better to light one candle then curse the darkness. But with that being said, this is not about philosophy or teaching. This is not about some just illusion that may be stated or shown to people. This is about truth and fact. The Christian faith is based upon truth and fact, not upon illusion, not upon ideas, not upon embellishment or stories that may or may not be true. The Christian faith is based upon truth and fact. The truth is is that Jesus was born. He was born in a town that's called Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, and he ministered in Galilee, and he went to his death in Jerusalem, and he rose again on a third day, and he ascended into heaven 40 days later. These are the elements of the truth that we hold. The fact is he did exist. Even though they may try historically to say he did not, there's so much evidence left and right from other sources, other places that show the great fact that he existed. And here on this particular day, Jesus is showing the truth and the fact of his existence to the disciples, and he's doing it by the power of light. He takes them up to the top of a mountain. There's a mountain in the plains of Jezreel when I was in Israel that some historians believe is this mountain. Uh, others say it's another mountain, but the fact is he took them on top of the mountain, and there he showed his true self. He revealed it by his presence of light. He showed his uh, presence of the light of God. Now, what is this light? Is this light simply the particle that we see, that light shines? It's amazing, the properties of light. I've looked at light my whole life trying to figure it out. Light is really fast. It's the fastest thing we know. 
In fact, we measure stars by how fast it is. So when a star is like 10 light years away, it takes light 10 years to reach from that star to us, which means if that star were to go out right now, we wouldn't know it for 10 years because light travels that fast. It's the fastest measurable we have in all of science. Jesus describes himself in this nature, but it's not just about the light of a sun or light that we see that shines here today. It is a deeper, it is a more profound light he's speaking of, and he shows it to them. He takes his disciples, James and John and Peter. He takes the inner core. There's always an inner core. There's always a group among any group that there's an inner core that helps, that rotates around the movement that's at hand. In this case, Jesus has an inner core that he takes with him up on top of the mountain, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Peter. He takes them up on the mountain, and they're all alone, and there something happens. Now, what happens is very important for us because for some people, their faith is a simple carpenter. And that's a wonderful faith to have of a simple man who was from that area and that time in history whose father was a carpenter. But something happened that day that shows us that Jesus is far more than we've ever expected. And what happens is he transformed, he transfigured before them, and it says his clothing became dazzling white. In other words, it became pure light and energy, and he shone his true self. Christ is the Son of God. Christ is not just simply man. That was the first big conference the church had, determining the nature of Christ, the Christology, which means the study of Christ, the first time the Christians ever gathered a few centuries after the time of Christ, the debate is, who is this Jesus? And they determined he was truly man and truly God. In other words, he was one of us, yet he's more. And here we see the more. Now, we're scared of the more. We don't want the more sometimes. Sometimes this shining Jesus scares us because we want the Jesus that's more uh, easy to get along with, more knowable, the pleasant Jesus, the Jesus who's one of us. We want a Savior who knows us and is one of us, but we have to realize our Jesus is the Son of God, not just the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. And here we see He's transfigured before them, and His clothing becomes dazzling white, whiter than anything the world could create. And it's wonderful because there we see the true nature of Jesus. Now, the reason I'm excited about that is imagine you're about to go into surgery. Imagine uh, you're going to have to go in and have some procedure done. Now, for some here, you don't have to imagine. You know exactly what it's like when you've had an injury or you have a condition. Which Jesus do you want? Do you want the Jesus you can relate to, the carpenter's son, the easy-to-go, knowing Jesus? Or do you want this Jesus who shines like the light? Let me take it a little bit further. You're about to face a hardship. You know that a person you love is going to pass, and you know the time is coming that you will have to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. Which Jesus do you want? Certainly we want the Jesus who can walk with us and guide us and help us. No doubt we need that Christ, but we also need that light. 
We need the Christ that can walk with us and beat back the darkness that tries to consume us. Our universe is a dark place. All those stars out there, you see those little pinpoints of light and then there's so much darkness. They now know there's something between the darkness. It's not just empty. It's not just a vacuum. It's not just a void. They now know that all parts of this are in motion. The whole creation is moving. And this darkness is trying to win. This darkness is trying to defeat us. Not just darkness of lack of light, but darkness and dark matter. Darkness and powers and forces we do not know. Somebody asked me a while back. They said, do you really believe in all that, all that stuff? And I said, I, I, it's not a question of belief when you've seen things that do not make sense. When you see the battle people are against, when you see the things that have happened, I, I'm a student of history. That was my major in college was history. I love history. I love learning about things that have happened. I believe it's not that things repeat, but human nature repeats itself. And people are prone to repeat the same mistakes of the past because of our nature. And when I look at history, I see history defined by wars and sorrow and things that have happened. It's absolutely amazing. The other day, they found a grave of 300, 300 in England, and they finally determined that these were Vikings. This was a massive battle where the Vikings landed there in England, and there was a battle, and 300 of them were slain and they found this mass grave of these ancient Vikings. And I was reading that with fascination, thinking about these sea people who came and invaded England and shaped so much of the history that we even now know with the Nordic culture and the theology we have from their teaching, like Thursday is Thor's day. Thor was their main god. Even one of our days is named after one of the ancient gods. Yet knowing all that history and celebrating that, what I see is a common recurrence of darkness continuing to encroach upon us and to take over even now. Oh, we're, we're so happy that North Korea is holding hands with South Korea in the Olympics, but let us not forget they're setting on nuclear warheads and they would and they could and they probably will try to blow somebody up before it's over with. Darkness, it continues just when the light, it seems to shine. And here are the disciples up on the mountain that day and Jesus shows them, you think you know me? <laughs> you think you know who I am? Oh, I've done the miracles. I've, I've shown you I can walk on water. I've given evidence of these powers I have to you, but you think you know me? Here, let me show you who I really am. And Jesus, he shows him, it's like he pulls back, not his coat showing the S on his chest, the Superman. That was the one. I loved Superman when I was a boy. Superman could fly and everything else. He's so powerful. But some people like being Batman. I think Brad would be a Batman is what I think. You'd be a Batman, Brad? I think so. See, Batman, he can't really fly. He's got all man-made stuff. So that's like Brad back there. But Superman can fly. Well, Jesus can not only fly, he's shown us he could fly in the ascension. He ascended back up into heaven. Superman, uh, he, he had power. Jesus showed us he had great power by what he did. But on this particular day, it's not showing things he can do, his characteristics. It's showing who he is. And he pulls back the veil and he shows his disciples. And there he was transfigured before them in his clothes. He was so bright that even the clothes that 
were over him were shining. There's some history here. There was the sign of Veronica. In the early part of the church, there was an image that was emblazoned, somehow seared onto a piece of cloth that hung over the gate in Constantinople, which was the eastern headquarters of the Christian faith. And this became the sign of Veronica. They believe it was the death shawl, the cloth that covered the face of Jesus. And you've seen the stories of the Shroud of Turin that has the image of a man crucified that somehow is showing on the cross or um, just on the uh, actual cloth. And it shows a man who was crucified on a just cross. And it shows elements that would not be known except by historians. And there's been big debate if it's true or not. And of course, we in faith don't need evidence like that. All we need is faith to believe. But it's interesting to see this, and they think what happened is when he, when he resurrected, this is what some theologians say, is that he, in essence, radiated out, and he shone so bright, he burnt through the cloth and left his imprint. That's what the ones who believe in this shroud cloth over the face and then the body cloth to shroud of Turin believe. Well, on this particular day, Jesus shone forth his true nature, and it's like what he was wearing became pure, dazzling white, it says. We see the true nature of God. Now, what does that mean? That means in heaven there'll be no shadow. Imagine no shadow. We live in a land of shadow. Everything we do, it casts a shadow. When we walk, we have a shadow. See, here Jesus is becoming greater than the land of shadow. He is showing his true nature. And you could imagine on top of that mountain, the disciples that are left on the bottom down there, Andrew and the others are looking up and they see this sudden burst of light on top of the mountain. And they're wondering what's going on. They do not know. But the disciples that are there are blinded. They see this wonderful event of Jesus's true nature of who he is. He is light. He's pure light with no shadow. And then suddenly, on top of that, appears with him Elijah and Moses, the two biggest figures of the Old Testament. There's no greater in the Old Testament than the law of Moses, which is called the Mosaic Law, the law that is based not just on Exodus, the 20th chapter, the Ten Commandments, but the law that's extrapolated or taken greater. And so the book of Leviticus, the law upon which the ancient children of Israel lived. And here's Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, the one who talked about the wounded Christ, the one who described the wonderful Savior. And these two come and show up. Now understand, they're graveyard dead. <laughs> they're dead. And here they are showing up. It shows that not only is Jesus light, he's pure, but also the power of death, it falls away in front of him. And they appear before him, Elijah and Moses, and they are talking with Jesus. Now, what are they talking about? We do not know. The scriptures do not elaborate, but we can say partially what they're talking about is Jesus fulfilling the law and fulfilling the prophets. In other words, Jesus is the Son of God. And these two great figures of the Old Testament show up. And now we're going to look at what the response of an average man would be. And Peter steps up because Peter's Mr. Average. Peter always does what anyone would do in that situation. Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, 
By the way, I would have, uh, I would have said Lord, I wouldn't have said teacher, <laughs> because of after just seeing Jesus turn to light and then Elijah and Moses showing up, I would have fallen on my knees and said, Lord, have mercy, you're the son of God. But uh, Peter, he's Peter, and he says, teacher, Peter, Peter's simple-minded. I tell you the truth, it's like, my Lord, have mercy. He's kind of dense at times. He's considered the first pope, by the way. <laughs> uh, he's considered the first of the priest. In fact, ordination happens through Peter. Even, even my ordination. I found this out with a bishop up at Lake Genalusco one day. He had this thing on his wall, you know, like a, it was a chart, and it showed... Uh, just a picture of the bishop who consecrated him and then the bishop who consecrated him and the bishop who consecrated him back to uh, John Wesley and then the priest of England who consecrated him all the way back to the Catholic priest. And then it kind of stops in history there. It's, it's a very nice uh, it's a gift that he had that had been historically researched. And I said, Bishop, I said, this is amazing. This means that uh, you have been uh, just laid hands on by someone all the way back to Peter. And he said, we don't claim that in the Methodist church. That's called apostolic secession. That's how priests claim the authority they have, is that they say they were consecrated by a priest who was consecrated all the way back to Peter. Well, being as, as I am a Methodist elder, I'm in the same vein as they are back through the Church of England, back through the Catholic Church, though we're not Catholic and we're not Church of England, we're Methodists. And what that means is that there's a connection but I don't claim that connection because that connection is not important to me. What is greater importance to me is to know a Christ who is light. And here, what happens is that Peter is excited and he said it's good for us to be here. And he shows what he thinks is his love. He's showing love. He's saying, this is what I want to express to you, that I love you. This is wonderful. I want to show you what I feel. And he says, let us put up three shelters. Now, this is going back to an Old Testament. Uh, it's a festival called the Festival of Booths. And the Festival of Booths is where the people of Israel would gather, and they would gather, and they would build little booths, and they would have sales. They would have cakes, and they would have uh, different items. People would make things. I don't know if they had bidding, but I have a feeling maybe they did. I'm describing the harvest sale. And you never thought of that, that your harvest sale you have every fall was going to happen on top of this mountain because Peter wanted to build a harvest sale. He had formed his harvest sale committee. There was Brad on it. There was Linda. There was so Miss Norma, there were all the wonderful people that were there. They were cake makers. They all were there. And Peter is saying, let's build some booths and let's go and worship you and worship Moses and worship Elijah. And, and Jesus is probably look at him going, Peter, are you okay? Did the light blind you too much? Are, are, you, uh, are you functional right now? Are you thinking straight? Jesus is going, Peter, this, this is not what's going on here, yet Peter is wanting to have a celebration, an event, and Jesus is going, this isn't for your sake only. Something greater is going on, and then you know it's serious because even with the love, God shows greater love, and he speaks the same way he did at the baptism of Jesus. And a cloud appeared, it says, and enveloped them. 
You can imagine those disciples at the base of the mountain looking up and they saw this big flash of light, this blinding light, the top of the mountains lit up and now there's a cloud rolled in and the cloud is surrounding the mountain and they're thinking, I can tell you what they're thinking. They're thinking Moses. They're thinking Mount Sinai. They're thinking the Ten Commandments is about to come back down the mountain. They're thinking God is about to speak and write in stone and they're thinking that there is a new law about to emerge and they're right. But it's not going to be 10 rules. Sisters and brothers, there's not enough rules for the sins we commit. At our house at Lake Genaluska, I have my rules to the children, and there's 10 rules I put in the kitchen on a piece of card. Number one rule is do not whine. You know, actually, it's to obey all rules. But then it says do not whine because as a parent, I hate whining. How many hate whining? I hate whining, whining. Oh, my Lord, they whine and whine. I want this. I want there. Are we there yet? What's going on? Can I have this? I said, don't whine. It's against the rules. It would take so many rules. Look at our law, our court, to know that there's not enough laws to keep people in check, in place. It's like Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl. They only had one police horse punched out. Uh, that's what I read. Only one police horse got punched out. Uh, somehow in Philadelphia, they got this thing. If they win, they punch out a police horse. And I don't understand that, but I can tell you it's against the rules. And I bet that police horse didn't appreciate it very much either. Somebody punching them out because they won the Super Bowl. If we win the Super Bowl, we're not punching out any police horses in Charlotte. I can guarantee you that. Because in North Carolina, we'll get a Pepsi Cola and we'll celebrate. That's what we'll do. We'll be happy because Pepsi was born here in North Carolina, in Newburgh. See, so there's, there's, there's this great event that's taking place. The cloud is now surrounding them, and then God speaks. And God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. In other words, Moses. In other words, Elijah. You did your part. You shared the law, you shared the gospel, but now it's time for the truth. And the truth is standing right in your midst. And that truth is my son, Jesus. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one there but Jesus. Now, was this a vision? Was this a dream? Was this an illusion? Is this some event that has no purpose? No, it shows us the true nature of God in Christ Jesus. It shows us that our Lord is battling powers and principalities each and every day. Do you know that the sickness we have is rooted in sin? Do you know the sorrow we have is rooted in shame? Do you not know that the brokenness we have is rooted in the guilt? Do you not know that all the darkness that encroaches upon us is happening because of the sin of man, is happening because we have fallen and the world has fallen and the universe has fallen? This whole place is broken, but our God is mending it. He's making it whole. He's making it new. And suddenly when they look around, they see the Lord is who they see. They see Jesus. No longer just a teacher or a prophet or just philosopher, no longer just a miracle worker or someone who seems to have power like a superman, no longer just a person. Now they realize he is God. Peter, James, and John realize he is God. Jesus is God, and God is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is God. And the three are one. They're the same. 
They're one, but in three forms, in three fashions. We need to understand when we pray to Jesus, we are praying to God. Jesus is not the step up before God. He is God. Jesus said, to know me is to know the Father. And he said, the only way to where I am is through me. You must come through me, he says. Suddenly they look around. They no longer see the law. They no longer see the prophets. They see their Lord Jesus. Jesus. And that's exciting because it means in our life, we can go straight to the source. It means in our life, we don't have to beat around the bush or send in a request to some person. I, I tell you the truth, there, there's so many lines this day and age. You ever notice the lines people have where you have to wait and there's a line for this and that? It seems like our world's built upon seeing somebody who's seen somebody who's seen somebody and somehow we'll finally get to where we need to go. I know when I spoke to Daniel, he was telling me about Danny and he was saying the other day they had 15 doctors in his room up at Duke. 15 doctors. They were standing in there and Danny said they were so crowded it was wall-to-wall -wall doctors and they're all tending uh, so to Danny. And that's what Daniel was telling me. And just God bless, he's now in a regular room. He's getting better. God's miracle is happening because he was very sick, yet God is making him whole. And we're praying him through this that he'll not only be back, but he'll be back in the choir where he wants to be and be back with us, his people. See, he is a part of the family. We love him. And we're praying to a Jesus who is Lord that he will be all right. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders. To not tell anyone what they had seen. Now, here's, here's the question. In your life, have you seen this light? Have you seen a moment that you've known unequivocally, without any doubt, without any hesitation, that Jesus is Lord? I can say that I have. I can say I have in the moment that it was the darkest. I can say I have in the moment that all hope had seemed to fail. My mother, she passed in hospice down in Wideville, North Carolina. Beautiful lady, wonderful, wonderful mother. My father, he also was at the hospice house in Wideville. He had preached that Sunday morning over at the church at Chadburn. He preached on sin. He preached a hard sermon. He stomped a little bit. He shouted a little bit. The reason I know that is a man who had never been to that church came up at the funeral and afterwards told me he had never even been to that church. And he showed up that Sunday when Pastor Smith had preached. And I said, that was his last sermon. And he said he found that out. And he said he never heard a man that could lay the gospel down any clearer than that man could lay it down. And my daddy could lay the gospel down because he preached it without any hesitation. He didn't care if we were high or low, left or right. He didn't care if we were conservatives or liberals, if we were Baptist or Methodist. He didn't care. He preached the same gospel about the same Lord Jesus. But I remember being with him in that hospice house for four straight days as he laid there after a massive stroke and he was no longer aware. But every now and then he would reach up he would reach up and we would see it. And I remember every day it seemed to get darker. Every day my hopes seemed to drop away. It's not that my God had abandoned me. 
because I knew he was there. It's not my faith had absorbed because it was as real as it had ever been. It was that now I was walking through pain and sorrow and I was suffering. And then finally at 3.33 that morning on Thursday, my father, he passed, he left this earth. And the light, it was shining. It was shining on him, it was shining on me, it was shining on my brother. It was filling up the room. And I knew my God was able. I knew he loved me. I knew he cared for me. I knew he had made a path because he is the Lord. He is able. Sisters and brothers, this is a wonderful day. Let us pray. Dear Lord, shine your light upon us that we may see hope. Let us know that even though we walk through dark valleys, you are the light that leads the way. You are the Lord of life. Lord, in this world we live, there is so much trying to defeat us, so many things trying to break us, yet we shall persevere because you are our Lord. All we have to do is call upon your name and believe upon you and worship you and follow you, and you will lead us all the days of our life. Lord, let us be your people, and when the world it tries to encompass us, when it tries to take away our hope, when the world tries to defeat us and beat us, you are there to defend us and beat back the darkness that encroaches upon us. You are the light. And Lord, lead us in this vessel of light to the land that has no shadow. In Jesus' holy, sweet name we pray. Amen.